0: He earned first team All-American honors, he served as the team captain, and uh, the Cal's coach at the time, Nibs Price, said he was the most intelligent football player that he ever coached. Well, Regals was a motivational speaker, and he has been used by motivational speakers, as a great example of how to overcome obstacles. As great a football player as he was, and he truly was a good football player, all the accolades that he earned throughout his collegiate career, he made a terrible mistake in 1928. In 1928, going into the Rose Bowl, the Bears were 6-2-1. They were going to be playing Georgia Tech, and they had Roy Regals on their team. And his actions during that game were not accepted very well by himself, his teammates, or the fans of UCLA. And it was what happened on that day that caused him to be able to be used as an example by motivational speakers and by him later in his life. Roy was playing what was known as a roving center. We might call it the middle linebacker today. And during the course of play... Roy recovered a fumbled football 30 yards from the Georgia Tech goal line. 30 yards and 6 points. Well, during the process of picking up that football, he ran the wrong way. In fact, he ran 69 yards the wrong way, being tackled only one yard before he scored for Georgia Tech. Later on, he was interviewed by the uh, associate press, and, and he explained exactly what happened in that moment. He said, there I was. I was running toward the sidelines when I picked up that football. I was 30 yards from scoring. He said, someone bumped into me, I bounced off a tackle, and in the process of all of that, I lost my bearing. He lost his direction. And so he said, I began to run. But he was stopped one yard short of scoring for the other team. Now, that cost them because they didn't get a touchdown, but it resulted in a safety for Georgia Tech and UCLA lost the game 8 to 7. Now there were, there are a lot of people in this world that lived their lives without having their bearing, going in the wrong direction, heading in the wrong way because either they've lost sight or they never had a plan or a goal in mind. Now we can lose sight of our goals or we can maybe have never had a goal. One preacher once noted, he said, many people are what you might call directionally challenged. He said, they don't know where they're going, they don't know how to get there, they don't have a goal, and they go through life as if everything will simply just turn out alright in the end. Have we ever known anyone like that? I want us to listen to the words of Solomon this morning. Solomon, through his wisdom, instructs us on having the right direction in mind. Now the issue with having wisdom or applying wisdom after having gained knowledge is that most people think that they will get out of bed in the morning. And I'm one of those people. I think right now if you ask me, what are you going to do in the morning? Well, the first thing I'm going to do is get out of bed. And then the next thing, I'm going to do this, whatever my schedule has planned for me tomorrow, is what I plan on doing. But am I guaranteed that's going to happen? No, I plan on that happening. I think that's going to happen. But I don't know that it's going to happen. Let me give you an example. I was on the way to Memphis on Friday. I left really early Friday morning. I'm going to Memphis and I get on 24 and I hadn't been on 24 in no time till I saw this wreck. A truck was hauling a, uh, a trailer and it got out of control and turned the whole thing over. It was scattered for a quarter of a mile. How anyone could live through that, I don't know. I don't know that anyone did live through it. Well, then I get on 840 and I'm going up 840 and I'm thinking, boy, I've got to hurry up and get there. And then traffic just comes to a stop. I mean, it came to a stop. And I'm thinking, what in the world is going on? As far as I can see up the road, all I see are brake lights. And then we finally move on. It took me I don't know how long to get up through there. I never did see what the problem was. Well, there was a wreck. By the time I got up there, they had it cleaned up. That's how long we were stopped. It was that bad. I don't know if anyone died in that wreck or not. But do you think that the people involved in those wrecks, if they died, do you think they were planning on getting to where they were going? They did have a goal in mind, but they might not have had the right goal in mind. They might not even have been thinking about the proper goal. They might have just been thinking about some earthly goal. I've got to go such and such a place and have to do something. Well, is that that may be the immediate goal for us in this life, but do we have an overall goal? Do we plan on getting to heaven? Because if we're not planning on getting to heaven, we're not going to make it. We have to put forth the effort. If I'm not planning on painting the walls of my house, they're not going to get painted. The wise man begins this portion of the Proverbs talking about a roaming boy. He wants his son to understand something. Solomon wants his boy to understand, you better get ready to live in this life exactly the way God wants you to live. You better get a goal in mind. You better focus on that goal because that's the only important goal really that we need to care about. Do we have other goals in this life that we absolutely have to meet? Yes. Do we have to support our families? Well, we better. We better support them. You know what's always bothered me? <clears throat> Have you ever talked to someone who whose husband or someone's father who left them and and they they weren't living in the home anymore, but then but, but then someone says, Well, at least they're taking care of them. They're supposed to take care of them. What I mean, what kind of award do you need for that? Right? Look. Solomon wants us to get our minds in order. Get on the goal. Let's pay attention to what we're talking about. He says, straighten your life up, because if you're not watching what you're doing, you're going to get off track. See, that's what he tells his son. He said, I was watching the people. I was sitting at my window. I was looking through the window, and I was watching the people as they just went about their day. Have you ever done that? Now, I don't particularly care to do that, but I have some friends that like to go to, the, to a mall and sit down and just watch people. I don't particularly care for that. I, I get irritated pretty quickly doing that. And so I don't want to involve myself in that very much. But but I went to school with a fellow, and he loved to just go somewhere and sit and watch people. Well, I mean, you can get a pretty good show sometimes doing that, I guess. But Solomon, is he's watching his subjects go throughout their daily activities. And he notices someone. He sees a young man, and and notice what he said. He said, "...and beheld among the simple ones, I discerned among the youths, a young man void of understanding, passing through the street near her corner, and he went the way to her house." Proverbs 7, 7 through 8. So he's sitting there at his window, and he sees a young man who is void of understanding, And most of the time, bored of understanding because they don't want to understand. He's out walking around when he ought to be doing something else. And so Solomon watches him. He has no specific direction in life. He's just wandering around. He's enjoying perhaps the city. It's getting dark outside. He's killing some time. He just doesn't have anything better to do. Does the Bible say a little something about having too much time on our hands? Does the Bible talk about not being engaged in something and then to occupy our minds we will find something to do? That may not be the right thing either. If we're not occupied in a righteous way, we'll be occupied in an unrighteous way. Have you ever known someone that was so concerned about everybody else's business and they were just focused on it and focused on it and focused on it? You know what I say to that? Look, get get a hobby. You know, do some work for the church. Help someone do a correspondence course. Do something, call someone who's not feeling well, but don't be concerned about what everybody else is not doing. Right? Let's, let's, let's do not allow idle time to cause us problems. That's what's going on with this young man. That's the application for today. Do something that's profitable. Notice what Paul encouraged us to do, Colossians 4, 2 through 5. He said, continue in prayer. He said, watch in the same with thanksgiving. With all praying also for us, that God would open unto us a door of utterance to speak the mystery of Christ, for which I am also in bonds. He's saying, look, I'm out here busy working. You pray for me. Spend your time in prayer. Spend your time in furtherance of the kingdom. I'm out here trying to convert people. I'm a a slave for Christ because I choose to be, and you help me through prayer. Don't be worrying about what someone's not doing. He said that I may make it manifest as I ought to speak. He said, walk in wisdom toward them that are without redeeming the time. You know what redeeming means? To buy back, to get it back. Christ redeemed us from sin. He bought us from the punishment of sin through His sacrifice. Time is important. To God. He created it. He doesn't want us to waste it. He says, redeem it. Buy it back. You've got this young man walking around the city. It's getting dark. He ought to be home or doing something else profitable. And he's wasting time. He's kind of looking for something to to get into that's not appropriate. It appears to me. Well, I know that's exactly what he was doing because we see the result here in a few moments. Paul provides instruction for us. Regarding the Christian in the world. Use your time wisely. You're going to be out in the world. Use it wisely. Solomon said, he's out walking around. He's just wandering around. Paul says, don't waste your time. Redeem it. Christians have to behave in a certain way. We have to use wisdom. We're out in, in, in the public. People are looking at us. They know that we're Christians, or at least they ought to know that. And they're watching us. Do you know that someone who is adamantly against God and His church. They will focus on someone who claims to be a Christian and they'll watch every little move that they make. They are searching for a mistake. See, that's what Paul's talking about. Redeem your time wisely. Walk in the proper way toward people in the world. There's a way we need to engage people in the world. They need to see that we have integrity. They need to see that we have principles. They need to see that we are different. Have you ever heard that song by Ray Stevens, the haircut song, the haircutting song or something like that? He talks about going in and getting a haircut away from home. He says, don't do that. He said, go to someone that you know, someone that you trust. And so he goes through some scenarios, and and it's kind of humorous what he talks about, but he ends up in L.A., and he goes in and gets a haircut, and he ends up with a mohawk, and his hair is purple, and he said he had some... Uh, He said, I walked out of there, had some safety pins in my cheeks and and all this kind of stuff. He He said, I felt conspicuous. He said, until I got to San Francisco. He said, well, they thought I was the insurance salesman there. See, he just blended right in. We're not supposed to blend in, are we? We're supposed to be different. They're supposed to see something about us that they do not see in their regular lives. They see us living for something. That's why Rome had such a hard time. They said... What do you do with a bunch of people that will die for what they believe in? You can't do anything with them. They're willing to give up their lives. What? You can't defeat that. You can't defeat it. But we've got to be different. David Lipscomb observed about the world. He said, they watch our walk and our talk. He said, and they judge and measure our talk by our walk. The lives of Christians are the Bible the world reads. Live so that the more you are known, the more you will be esteemed. So that those who are without and anxious would naturally seek you for help and guidance. And your judgment or reproof would carry with it the weight of a consecrated character. that's that's something, isn't it? But isn't that exactly what happens? Now David Lipscomb, just a man like anyone else, not an inspired writer. He was uh he was during that time just right after the Restoration uh movement began, but he was a part of it. He says, Live your life so that people see you that you're different, that you're living in such a way that you have you have a knowledge of calmness about you because you know what's coming in the end and people will naturally migrate towards you and want to know how you are that way. And then we talk to them about the gospel, about Jesus Christ, how they can know that they know they're saved. See, that brings all kinds of peace. See, that's the peace Paul told the Philippians. It passes all understanding. It passes the understanding of the world. We understand it. Because we are that way. We have to behave ourselves properly. Such is the conduct that is required by God to those who are not members of the Lord's church. Now, we're either a member of the church or we're not a member of the church, right? When we read in the Bible, we talk about going from darkness into light. We talk about going from Ignorance, and when I say ignorance, I mean that in, in a lack of knowledge concerning certain things into having knowledge of certain things. There's a line that we cross. It's a very specific line that we cross. We go from light to dark. And we, we don't need to be ashamed of that. We don't need to be ashamed of the Bible teaching that. We need to be able to stand up and say we're either members of the Lord's church or we're not. Now, we need to do that in a proper way. We need to do that with love and we need to do it through teaching, right? Right? We need to sit down and, and say let's look at what the Bible says and if the Bible says it, I'm going to agree with it and I'm going to follow it and it doesn't matter what the individual sitting there says but the fact of the matter is Christ said I'll build my church. Matthew sixteen sixteen. That's a singular possessive pronoun. There's only one. And we see that take place in Acts chapter 2. And we need to be able to relay that to people. How do you get into a covenant relationship with God? Well, we're not going to do it if we're just roaming around and we're not watching. I want to notice something else about this young man. He didn't live in the way that Solomon had described. wonder why. Notice what comes along with just wondering and not watching. Being in the wrong place and there's never a right time for it, right? He was in the wrong part of town it was the wrong time of day and he meets the wrong kind of woman. I talk to young, young men all the time and young women and I talk to them about marriage and just exactly how sacred marriage is. And that we've got one shot at this thing unless there are extenuating circumstances that Christ covers in the New Testament. We marry, we have one opportunity to marry. If our spouse is unfaithful to us, according to Matthew 19, verse 9, we can put that unfaithful spouse away and we can marry again. If our spouse dies, and we talked about that in 1 Corinthians chapter 7 this morning, if our spouse dies, we are able to marry another one because that marriage bond is broken. Aside from those very two very specific reasons, we marry one time in this life and that's all we've got, a chance to do that. And so what happens is, Some young person may marry and they may stay married six months and let me tell you, I just studied with a woman about a year ago and she had been a faithful Christian for years or it appeared that she had been. I studied with her husband, he obeyed the gospel and she comes to me one one evening and she says, I need to talk to you about something. I said, okay. So we went into the office and and she said, uh, no one really knows this except for myself and and the man she was married to at the time, she says, but I was married once before. I said, really? And I could just, I could just feel this dread come over me. She said, yes. I said, and you're not married to him now. You can't be married to two people. No. So why'd you, why'd you divorce? Well, it just felt like we just didn't love each other anymore. I said, that's a problem. She said, I know that. That's why I want to talk to you about that. What do I do? I said, Well, you've got to get out of that relationship. You've got to get out of that relationship. The man's still alive. Said, You can't live as husband and wife. She said, What about our boys? I said, Well, you gotta you gotta raise those boys. See, that's the problem, isn't it? Children involved. They're innocent. That's why we have to make proper decisions in our young lives. This young man's roaming around, he's just looking for trouble, he's going to find it. Do you know what a man finds when he looks for trouble? Trouble. Every single time. We all have a little bit of a history of that, don't we? This young man is making a terrible mistake. He's in the wrong places. This woman goes out and meets him. She's obviously a very pretty lady. Or a very pretty woman. I don't know that I'd say lady. She's obviously attractive. She shows a great interest in him. She makes him feel good about himself. She talks to him. And since he doesn't have anything better to do, guess what he does? He goes home with her. Follows her her home. Now Solomon mused, Proverbs 7, 22 through 23. He said, immediately he went after her. What does that tell us? He didn't even have to think about it. He's looking for trouble. He's looking for unrighteousness. He's looking for sin. He said, immediately he went after her, just like an ox going to slaughter. Or, he says, is a fool to the correction of the stalks put in stocks, put in jail, till an arrow struck his liver as a bird hastens to the snare, he did not know it would cost his life. In other words, he would live to regret that decision. That goes right back to this lady I was talking about. After all of these years, I baptized both her sons because I studied with them. That's how old they were. And now all of a sudden she realizes and she knows she's got to do something. And it had been eating at her for years. She made a mistake. She's like this young man. She realizes it. Now fortunately for her, she was able to correct that. All of us make poor choices from time to time, but we have to remember they come with consequences. Choices come with consequences. I want us to notice her tactics. Notice what this woman did. Proverbs 7, 13 through 21. So she called him, she kissed him with an impudent face. She said to him, I have peace offerings. She said, today I've paid my vow, so I came out to meet you diligently to seek your face. And I have found you. She said, I, I spread my bed with tapestry, colored coverings of Egyptian linen. I've perfumed my bed. She said, come, let us take our fill of love until the morning. Boy, that sounds good, doesn't it? I paid my vows. I prettied up my house. Come, let us take our fill of love until morning. Let us delight ourselves with love. There's nothing wrong with love, right? For my husband is not at home. He has gone on a long journey. He has taken a bag of money with him and will come home on the appointed day. With her enticing speech, she caused him to yield with her flattering lips and she seduced him. This young man had no direction in life and he just fell right into the trap. Oh, it sounded so good. It just I can just imagine the perfume of the sheets and the bed and In the cinnamon and the myrrh and it just smells so good and, and there's, there's gonna be no consequences. The husband's gone. And love, everybody knows love is good for you. God wants me to be happy, right? Who does that sound like? The serpent saying to Eve, boy, look at this fruit. It looks so good. It is beautiful. I bet it tastes good. And guess what? Make you wise. Make you like God himself. And they fall for it because there's no direction in life. They're in the wrong places. What's the application to today? Have we ever heard flattering words and, and we believe them? Have we ever been caught up in something and someone says, oh, it to be okay, to be fine. Now we're talking about young people in the immediate context, but it doesn't just apply to young people. It applies to all people. won't be any problem. Come on, let's do it. You know, some people are so charismatic, they are so likable, and they're so personable, man, they'd have you killing your own mother if you're not careful. Look throughout history at the people just like that. Jim Jones, Charles Manson, Adolf Hitler, so charismatic, so personable. Oh, it'll be okay. Come on in here. You're going to have so much fun. That's how Satan works. 1 Corinthians eleven fourteen. 14. For Satan himself transforms himself into an angel of light. He says, it'll be okay. It'll be okay. How did the young man of Proverbs find himself in such a situation? He had lacked reasoning. He didn't reason his way through anything. You know what happens when you don't reason? Brings grief, causes problems, makes you wish you hadn't done it. You get buyer's remorse, right? One of the brothers at uh, CYC, Kyle Bud, he, he his uh, sermon was on uh, getting a bad deal. He said, "You know, when do you know it's a bad deal? Immediately, you know it's a bad deal, right? Immediately." He talked about a man that. Uh, jumped from the Golden Gate Bridge. Some people survived that. He said immediately, when he turned loose, he said, I made the worst mistake of my life. He said, all those things I thought that could not be fixed, could be fixed. You know, I went to to school with a young man. He was a couple of years behind me. And I went back and visited a friend of mine I became very close with. It was a teacher there. And I walked in and I saw this young man and he was just... Looked like he had had some kind of a horrendous accident. I didn't, and he knew me. He said, well, hello, Rick. How are you? I said, well, hi, I'm good. How are you? And I'm trying to discover who is this? Who is this? And I'm trying to hear his speech, but his pattern's all messed up because he's just mangled. Just from, from, from the nose down, his face is just mangled. And you can tell he's had several operations. And so he left and, and I asked my friend, I said, who was that? He told me who it was, and I said, you got to be kidding me, what happened to him? Well, he was about 19 or 20, and there was some little 14-year-old girl he got to having a crush on, and her daddy, and rightly so, said, don't come back. And so he showed up on the front lawn with a 30 30 deer rifle. He stuck it up under his chin, and he pulled the trigger. But it was pointed out just a little too much. And he just blew the whole bottom part of his face off. Hey, that was a bad deal, wasn't it? When did he realize that? Immediately. Hey, look, sin is worse than that. When we die, do you know when we realize it was a bad deal? Immediately. The faithful are carried to the bosom of Abraham. The unfaithful lift up their eyes being in torments immediately we're in the wrong place at the wrong time, going in the wrong direction. We've got to be careful with that. We've got to teach our young people that, don't we? We've got to teach our young people that. We've got to live that. We've got to do those things. Martin, we're not going to make it through the rest of the sermon. We're just going to end right here. You can turn it off.